Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2016, and by now you know that year was pivotal for me. As you know, I found myself at the Executive Leadership Council Strategic Pathways Leadership Conference during their Leadership Week in Miami, Florida. You know that I was surrounded by 149 incredible, high-performing women that went on this journey with me. And it's probably about time that you find out who else was touched in that room. There are probably about 20 of us that stay in contact by group chat and group text on our phones ever since then. It's been five years. And my, can I tell you how each of these ladies continues to kill it? You get to meet one today. Her name is Heather Dowdy. Heather works for Fortune 10. You probably have heard the name of the little company, Microsoft, but her position there does not define her. In fact, she is on her life's mission, and she's squarely in her purpose. She is an accessibility change agent, and it didn't just start with a position that she took at a technology company. It started when she was about six months old. Heather is crystal clear on her value and her value proposition, and you'll get to meet her. She is an artificial intelligence and accessibility expert. Find out what she's doing to improve the lives of people who sit in the margins. I am proud to introduce you to my friend and my sister and ELC fellow. Heather Dowdy. Let's get it. I am so excited to have Heather Dowdy with me today. She is brilliant. She's also my friend and my sister, but she is an accessibility change agent. She is an expert in AI, especially as it comes to the topic of accessibility Everybody say hi to Heather. Hey, Heather. Hey, El Michelle. Yes, you know what? We go away back, like to 2016, right? Yes. Can you believe it's been that long? <laughs> That's five years now, right? Yeah. Five and yeah. It's 2021. It's like 2020 and 2021 just came and and I'm still having to force myself to remember things. I block some things out. <laughs> I don't know about you. But yeah, 2016, do you remember being in that room with Janet and Trudy? I do. That was such a special moment in my career and time. I don't think I had ever been in a room with that many Black women professionals in my entire life. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. I know I hadn't. And not just anybody. These were the high-performing, high-potential, hand-picked sisters <laughs> from these big corporations. 
And there are probably about 20 of us that are still in touch today. Definitely. It's a sisterhood. We got to watch each other's back for sure. Yeah. And I definitely feel closer to you guys. Um, Since that time, I mean, we forged a bond in that room. I mean, because toxic tissues were flying, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. But it's so worth it. And now, five years later, here we are. So you want to tell the people what you do? Well, I focus on equipping and empowering people with disabilities to live out their lives on purpose. And I currently live that out by uh, leading partner strategy at Microsoft for our AI for Accessibility program. And I get to work with so many inventors and innovators on how to leverage AI to solve some societal challenges that really impact the disability community. Yeah. Wow. You said a mouthful. You know, you're in it every day. (laughs) So you're kind of used to it. But I want our listeners to just take in what you said. You are supporting people with disabilities with technology that is cutting edge. Now, can you break down AI for us? Because I know a lot of people have heard it. Some of us know because we've been in tech, but others of us don't. So what is artificial intelligence? I love breaking it down because so many people just hear the buzzword and they aren't necessarily sure exactly what it is. And I think that when you truly understand it, you can teach it to somebody. And so when we think about artificial intelligence and AI, we should just think about machine learning algorithms and software and solutions that require lots and lots of data. And what they do with that data is really try to uh, complement our human ability whether that's helping with speech recognition and translation or uh, computer vision, being able to recognize objects, all of those things help us uh, make better decisions. AI has such potential because I like to think of it as a way of really shaping the future. And honestly, when we look at the disability community and we look at history, There have been so many gaps, whether it is in employment and education, for instance, where there's been this sort of separation and divide. And so what we're really trying to do is leverage AI to really close those gaps. For instance, the unemployment rate for people with disabilities has been stagnant for 30 years since they started Mm. counting it. It has been where a person with a disability is unemployed at two times the rate of a person without a disability. And it's just been that way. And this was pre-COVID. So during COVID, people with disabilities and disability-owned businesses were at the forefront of these job losses. And I like to think that when we think about really coming back together, it needs to be an inclusive recovery. And I think AI will challenge us all to do that in an accessible way. That's, oh. That's huge. It's heavy, too, because when you start to think about how many people have suffered, especially in the black and brown and other marginalized communities, then add on top of it. Being someone with different abilities, that's pretty scary. But you know what? Before we get into it, why don't we have a culture soup moment? What do you think? Definitely. Awesome. Okay, so we are living through some crazy times, aren't we? (laughs) And it looks like there's a little light at the end of the tunnel, but it seems that right now, if you go on social media, you cannot 
bring a hashtag without seeing somebody, companies and individuals talking about diversity, equity and inclusion. And I know right now because the huge Black Lives Matter uh, movement last year and uh, some people are saying right now, like what happened? But still, you say those three words and people automatically think Black. And it's fair to say right now, we're trending. Okay, so we gotta take our moment. But at the same time, we're seeing some other groups being left out. And when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example, you know, there are Asian communities right now that need our help because they're being discriminated against. Some of them violence, or um, they're having to endure violence. But then if you were to add on to it, being black and brown or some other marginalized group, and then also being someone of different abilities, can we having that conversation? Do you think? No, we're not having that conversation. I'm being asked to have that conversation and lead it, um, which like you said, is important to stand in the moment that all of this is opened up. But I'm here to say, hey, we got work to do on both sides. One, within the disability community, let's talk about race. <laughs> that intersectionality isn't just a buzzword. That's yeah. people's lived experiences every day. You take a person, a Black woman, who's a wheelchair user trying to get service somewhere compared to a white male that's also a wheelchair user, and you'll find different experiences. Yeah. Those are things that we have to talk about. And then on the flip side of that, within our marginalized communities and communities of color, we have to also talk about how we view disability because honestly, it goes back to a lot in history. We haven't always been able to talk about it. Well, and there's still stigma about it. You know, there are big companies out there among their employee bases trying to get people to voluntarily, you know, self-identify. And that's tough because if you have something that is a disability, but it's a bit invisible, it's kind of a catch-22 to even try to reveal it because you don't know you're going to get discriminated against. Have you seen that? Absolutely. I mean, over 70% of all disabilities are invisible. So that's number one. And then when you really want to talk about this moment, research has shown that over half of the Black people that were killed by police had some type of disability. You're kidding Mostly me. mental health disability. So wow. can we really talk about it? Can we yeah. really talk about what seems to be invisible? But mm -hmm. that is the number one growing disability in the world, mental yeah. health. And that was, again, pre-COVID. Do you know that during COVID, I mean, the anxiety screenings and depression screenings have gone up some like 400 percent and so it. it is something that we have to talk about and consider I like to tell people all the time my background is that I'm a coda child of deaf adults so I grew up with black deaf parents on the south side of Chicago which is a whole thing in itself yeah. when you want to talk about intersectionality mm -hmm. but when I think about my family and my friends and the community that I come from I think, will they even be able to disclose their disability if they're pulled over by the police? Because yeah. the first thing that you're going to see is that they're Black first. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps if they're allowed, they can let you know that they have a disability. Well, and then we have seen 
examples of this, unfortunately, in the news where uh, young men, um, I don't know that there's been a woman, correct me if I'm wrong, that when it was all said and done and the poor individual is dead, we find out that they had a disability at the hands of the cops is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And normally it's because that part is removed from the narrative that's written in the press that they don't want to disclose or include that that person had a disability. So there, it's just something that we have to talk about. I mean, there's over a billion people on this planet living with a disability. You, We like to say it's the one community that you can join at any time. And Absolutely. so why not talk about it? Why not yeah. talk about it? And you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because let's say you live a life that is not disrupted by this. If you become pregnant, by FMLA <laughs> standards, you have disabilities. And it's not necessarily that you're carrying. It may be that it limits you. But I know that when I was pregnant with Joni, my memory was like, not good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then we'll just talk about aging, right? right? So you become a senior and you're not as sharp. You, you might lose your memory. There are other things physically that can happen. So we're all going to end up being in this category at some point in our lives, right? Tell it, seriously. And look at how tech savvy we are now. Do you want to be a senior citizen and say, oh, Facebook won't work for you because we didn't include people with disabilities or people who are aging in that? And so I tell people all the time, like, why not? leverage accessibility to innovate. This community is no stranger to hacking things that weren't designed for them. I mean, the definition of disability by the World Health Organization is that it's a mismatch between the person and their environment. That has nothing to do with the person's ability. That means that we have to empower people to make the environment themselves accessible. And the reason why I tend to point out that, that definition is because we see it on the race side, too, where people make some uh, some judgments based on race and in your ability. But your race has nothing to do with your ability. Your disability has nothing to do with your ability. I am always amazed at the hidden gems on these devices, on your computers, on software we use, that if you're not privy, you just don't know. Um, For instance, I'm going through TikTok. I'm always on TikTok seeing what's going on. It's addictive, okay? (laughs) It is. (laughs) I ran across this one video and there are a couple of them and they're like, oh my goodness, my life has changed because I learned this about Microsoft Word. And I think they hit the escape twice or something like that and then started talking and started dictating and the words showed up as they were speaking and I'm thinking to myself yeah okay that is a shortcut for you but that's probably been there a very long time for people who need access definitely it's like they say you were today years old when you found that out (laughs) but we knew (laughs) all this time And the funny thing is a lot of innovation has come out of accessibility. People think like, oh, if I got to make it accessible, it's going to make it expensive. It's too difficult to do. But, you know, being able to type on a virtual keyboard on your on your iPhone or your Android device, 
that came from years ago when people who didn't necessarily have dexterity um, needed to have other ways to be able to use computers. And so now we find these things that are just like in our everyday devices, but they really came out of innovating based on the accessibility needs of people with disabilities. Yeah, I think back before I joined the iPhone Nation, I hit some button on my Samsung <laughs> Note something and that thing started talking to me. I didn't know how to turn it off. <laughs> then I realized it's like, this is one of the accessibility features. And then later I would learn that these phones, these smartphones have like hundreds and hundreds of functions that many of us don't even uncover. But yeah. I have found that when you do engage accessibility technology, everybody benefits. Definitely, definitely. We like to say that you solve for one and extend to many. So again, bringing it back to the race piece, you know, you figure out really how to treat and promote Black people. You figure out how to do that for everybody else as well. Yeah. There was something that I found on TikTok that I shared with you that I was so excited about. Now, we're all familiar with American Sign Language or ASL, but there was a young lady on TikTok. She's still on there now, and she is teaching Black American Sign Language. And people didn't know that was a thing. I didn't even know it was a thing, but it's one of the most beautiful things. And she was speaking to her grandparents. Can you talk to us about B-A-S-L, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, B-A-S-L. I love, love, love our people. Yes, <laughs> Because no matter where you find <laughs> us, we are for the culture, we make the culture, and the, the deaf community is no exception to that. And so I love that she's bringing so much awareness to my community and our language because what people don't realize is Black ASL has swag on it. You have to put extra sauce on it. You know, just the way that we uh, incorporate sign language is so much in terms of the facial expressions and the body movement are the equivalent of tone and periods in English grammar. And now you see all of these sign language interpreters going viral, uh, like Wawa, the deaf musician and rapper during the Super Bowl last oh, yeah. month. Or you see the interpreter, uh, a Black man interpreting during a D.C. Um, press conference. And everybody's like, who was that? We're paying attention to the interpreter. And it's like, we're here. We have been here. This is us. This is you all. Just like we have Ebonics. <laughs> you know, um, we have Black ASL. And we've seen it in our church services. Yes. You know, it's a project I'm going to work on for 20, 2022. And it's leadership lessons I've learned in the Black church. And there's so much rich history in our church, but it, it, it led to so many different innovations in political movements and all sorts of things like that. But yeah, it is just a beautiful thing to see. So what are the primary differences between ASL and Black ASL? Well, there are a couple of differences. Um, there's definitely sometimes you have just one handed versus two handed signs and one or versus the other uh, where you position the sign. If it's uh, at the top of the head, 
versus that um, the chin mean different things in ASL versus Black ASL. So it really has some complex grammar um, that, you know, there are classes on. And so I just love that people are getting to see it. But the big thing with Black ASL is just the swag, the sauce. It is, you know, the extra pep in your step when you go, my brother, or, you know, whatever it is um, that that. represents our culture and our Mm -hmm. people. So you grew up with deaf parents. When did you first realize that you could not or you needed to communicate with them? Or was that something just from birth, your parents began to teach you as a baby? Yeah, they say that I started learning sign language at six months old. They were like... I think my first word was pizza <laughs> because I wanted to eat something. It, it mm-hmm. had something to do with food, which is a great way to teach a baby. If you're yes. hungry, <laughs> here's the sign. Here's how you're going to get it. <laughs> Here, here's how you're going to get it. And, um, you know, I have other family members that we lived with at the time that tell me that, you know, I would try to get my dad's attention and he wouldn't turn around. And so I would kind of throw something in his direction. And so you kind of start to become aware that, hey, this is how you communicate with your family. And growing up, um, I like to tell people we had all of these gadgets in the house. And so when I would go over to other people's house, I'm like, huh, they don't have a special uh, lamp connected to the door to let them know that the doorbell's ringing. And so I started to see differences there, but my parents were really big on, um, you didn't necessarily need to tell everybody that my family was deaf. Matter of fact, there are probably kids I went to school with that didn't know. They didn't want people to have any type of pity Mm -hmm. on us and and who we were. Um, It was like, hey, if they found out, they did, you know, but that's why I'm so glad to be able to talk about it in my work and also what's going on in the culture with Black ASL. Well, and you know, I'm a leadership coach. And one of the things that I talk about over and over and over again is how important it is to know your story and know the value in it. And you have known this. You have known this for a while. And this is why you're on your path, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like to tell people that I was actually born to do this. Yes. <laughs> like some people say that I really, you know, this um, definitely fell into my lap. And I like to say that I am a disability justice ally because that definitely does bring into the piece of intersectionality. That's amazing. So if people are out there and they have accessibility uh, issues or they have a disability and they're listening right now. Maybe they don't have access to everything. What, what do you, what do you say to someone like that? Ooh, I love that question because I'm in tech and have been for 15 years, but I tend to give a non-tech answer Mm -hmm. and it is no different than starting your own anti-racist journey in the sense that proximity is key. (laughs) Who do you know that has a disability? Mm -hmm. It's just like people saying, well, I don't have any Black friends. And it's like, okay, well, then that's the problem right there because it really comes out of caring 
and um, observing another person's lived experience that you will begin to care and understand what the needs are. So proximity is key. Um, I am sure that there is someone in your network uh, where that you can just begin to ask, you know, questions uh, as long as you establish that relationship, of course, um, to really understand what the needs are Mm -hmm. um, and exactly how accessibility empowers them. Wow. working on right now that you can talk about? Oh, well, you're the coach, you know. I'm always <laughs> working on a lot of things, okay? So many things. I am very strategic and some things have been in the pipeline for quite some time, some which I can't talk about. Sure. But know that I'm always advocating uh, for our community. Um, on a broader scale in terms of the disability community, I am so passionate about building inclusive and sustainable education to employment patterns. Mm -hmm. I personally think that it is quite a privilege for me to have always sort of been at the frontier of accessibility in my career with Mm -hmm. mobile accessibility, web accessibility, and now AI accessibility. And all of this is great. The future could be awesome as long as we're actually including everybody at the table to build it. And I think that that is why education pathways are so crucial. We need more people with disabilities in STEM at the table, building the latest AI technology. And so I am definitely here to help uh, help build that pipeline. How can those of us outside of the accessibility community who wield some privilege, let's keep it real, right? How can we wield our privilege? What questions should we be asking to support this community? I love that you said what questions we could be asking, because that really is where you start, is Mm -hmm. when you see a program that is reaching out to uh, students of color to teach them coding or some other aspect of STEM, ask the question, have you thought about reaching out to students of color with disabilities? Have you, you know, really thought about how we can make this program itself accessible so that anybody that wants to get on our website and find out about us can? I can't even begin to tell you how many websites are not accessible in itself for people who are blind or use a screen reader, for instance. And so those are steps that we can take. Um, You mentioned church, and I definitely cut my teeth in church, uh, interpreting in church um, all those years ago. But I think that there are some places that will provide um, people who sign even before they have deaf people in their congregation. And it's that sort of preparing an inclusive place that we can do no matter what level of influence that we're at. Like if you're hosting a meeting, mm -hmm. can you turn on captions, please? Yes. (laughs) Yes. You know, and I was convicted just in promoting this show because every time I go on LinkedIn, God bless LinkedIn, because LinkedIn has been prompting you when you post a video or even a picture. It will ask you for alternative text or it will ask you for an SRT file, which would allow you to put captions in. 
And so I did a little digging because I have a, a little app called Rev, R-E-V. And mostly they do a call recording app. But if you go on their website, they do transcriptions, they do closed captioning, they do um, captions in different languages, they do it all. And it's really cheap. So I went in there real quick. I sent them my video and lickety split in less than an hour. I had captions for my video. I had it in the file and I could put it on the video if I needed to. And so I uploaded my little SRT. I'm feeling good. <laughs> like I'm doing the right thing, y'all. But I'm going to start doing more of that because one, like I said, everybody benefits, right? If yeah. you put a video on social media, let's say you're in a work environment, Heather, and it's you can't have the volume up, but I still want you to know what I'm saying. Sure helps to have captions. It does. It does. So it's really no skin off of anybody's back to go that extra step. Don't you think? No skin at all. And the way that technology is advancing, there are so many more improvements. It's definitely not perfect. <laughs> I, I have a job for a reason. And so many of us do. But just being mindful of that, look at how many conversations happen on social media. Yet, by and large, a lot of it's not accessible. And so who are we leaving out of the conversation yet while we're talking about DNI? Who are we leaving out? And it's unnecessary to do so when it comes to people with disabilities. I don't know if y'all caught it, but she's working in inclusion and she's not in HR. She's not in HR. There are other opportunities to be involved in this very important work and not necessarily be in HR. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love being on the tech side of things. I love being able to walk into a room and just enlighten the people there, other engineers like me, on what the possibilities are. Um, one of the projects that we are working on, for instance, um, is in employment. And it is with some researchers at Vanderbilt University, where they're building a virtual job coach to help prepare people with autism for job interviewing. And so this wow, virtual job, I love it. <laughs> this virtual job coach is actually detecting the stress of the individual living with autism, as well as capturing eye gaze. And it is the interviewer, the virtual job coach that will adjust the interview if they detect that, you know, the, wow. the candidate is too stressful. And you know what that is? That again, goes back to that definition. So many times we tell people with disabilities that they have to adjust, mm -hmm. but we can make the environment more accessible. That's amazing. Heather, God bless you. You are doing such <laughs> good work. I am so thankful for you. And you really were born to do this. And I'm so glad to see you living on purpose and doing what you're supposed to do to support folks out there who may need a little assist. All of us do. All yeah. of us do. If we want the future to be inclusive and accessible, then we need to make sure that we're including everybody, particularly people with disabilities. Fantastic. Where can everybody find you online and follow you? You can follow me on Twitter and IG at Heather D. Builds with an S or find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to have a conversation on how we can embed more accessibility into what everybody is doing. 
Fantastic. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, El Michelle, for having me. Just of awesome conversation. You are always welcome back. If you have some new technology that you want to roll out, feel free. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Heather. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. What an awesome conversation with Heather Dowdy, accessibility change agent, y'all. You got to be able to do your part. You know what? Some of you out there are like me right now. We don't have an accessibility issue, but one day you might. One day you will if you age, you know. So what can you do to do your part? I'm going to challenge you. When you're on social media, especially LinkedIn, and Instagram. I think Instagram calls for it too, maybe even Facebook. Do your part to at least put the words that describe the picture. It would be such a big help. You're also going to see that on all the teases that we do from here on out and all the videos that I do, I'm going to be adding that SRT file to get the captions emblazoned on my videos. What else can we talk about? Listen, I want to tell you this. If you're on Clubhouse, you know I'm on Clubhouse, but I do not participate. I have a handle, L. Michelle Speaks. It's on Clubhouse, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Everybody knows that's L. Michelle Smith. Well, for some reason, on Clubhouse, my handle gets attached to another person's face and name whenever she shows up in a Clubhouse room. Her name is Elle Michelle, too, has a very different last name, and it's not her fault. It really is Clubhouse. They continue with their buggy algorithm to put my handle, and her handle is totally different, on her face every time she speaks. So be alert, be careful, and make sure when you're on Clubhouse to watch if that happens to you. I've tried to reach out to support. They're not responding. I'm using every platform I have, and now... I'm on my global platform, so maybe Clubhouse will say something to me, all right? Get the book, no thanks, seven ways to say, I'll just include myself, on Amazon, and you know what? The audio book is coming before the end of the month, so be on the lookout for that. And the remix, the new bonus edition, will come out by the end of spring. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at theculturesoup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.